Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. Joining me is Mike Williams, our reviews editor. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Hello, hello, Axe of the Blood God listeners. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, Nadia's on vacation. She will be back, not next week, the week after. But in the meantime, we got a lot that we can be putting on the show. We got an anthem review. It's time. It's time for the anthem review. Mike was our reviewer. Uh, Mike, welcome back from the darkness of having to review Anthem. How do you feel? Are you a free man? I'm, I'm not a free man completely because it is a games-as-a-service title. It's a mm. live service, so it's going to continue to be updated. Uh, so we're going to have to keep an eye on it. Mike has been playing Anthem for a couple weeks now, and he's just been sitting here on Slack going, I'm going to make you all play it. You got to play it. You're going to have to play Anthem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely one of those games that as I was playing it, like, I, I, I need others around me to play it to see if I'm just, like, not in a bubble. Although, at the same time, like, as I was saying this, then reviews, other reviews started to come out. And I was like, okay, so it's not just me. I'm like, I'm not alone here. Yeah, I was originally set to be the reviewer on Anthem, and I was looking forward to it, but then the review codes came in, and they were like, uh, yeah, so we only got PC review codes, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can't review it. That's interesting. I wonder why they picked PC as their platform for reviews. I, I don't know either. Maybe they, they had more uh, optimization to do uh, with the, the different consoles, because the Xbox uh, One version was also live when the PC version was live, for players so like if you got ea premiere origin access or whatever the, the the their subscription service is xbox one players could play at the same time that pc players could ps4 wasn't live until last night i believe so the fact that they didn't give even xbox one code until we received xbox one code last night i believe or was it today uh, we got code yesterday. Yeah, so it was yeah. yesterday that we got Xbox One code. So if you're out there wondering, where's all of the console edition reviews for Anthem? It's that code for those editions uh, didn't come out uh, from EA until yesterday. Well, before we continue, a little bit of housekeeping. You can find me on social media, on Twitter at the underscore catbot. You can find Mike on Twitter at automatic zen and you can find all of the us gamer social channels at us gamer net that would be facebook twitter youtube etc make sure to subscribe to both of our newsletters our acts of the blood god newsletter which contains a special essay from either me or nadia goes out on wednesday and our end of the week roundup goes out on friday thanks to those who have subscribed uh, it's been fun putting these newsletters together they're getting a little better every time i think so uh, please enjoy that in the meantime stuff that went up on the site this week i mean i think the big news aside from the anthem review of course is reggie retiring i wrote an article about how he um it's interesting i have kind of mixed feelings because on the one hand i think that he was a lot of fun he was extremely charismatic, but, you know, at the end of the day, he was a marketing pitch man, and you could really see it in his reviews. Uh, Mike, what's your take on Reggie leaving Nintendo? I, I would agree with that. Like, he's he's very memeable, and he has a, a very big presence. But at the end of the day, uh, Nintendo has always been a company that has been 
very, very driven from this Japanese side. Uh, some, some companies, uh, allow sort of their different divisions, like PlayStation Europe or something to sort of play around a little bit more. But I, I think with Nintendo, Nintendo of America, Nintendo Europe tend to very much just follow the marching orders of Nintendo Japan. So, uh, I mean, I, even Doug Bowser, who is coming into the position, was a marketing guy. Like I've seen him at other events and I believe he, his previous position was like VP of marketing. So I, I think Nintendo understands what that position really is. And yeah, like I like Reggie a lot. Uh, and seeing his little goodbye video was, was sort of bittersweet. Like seeing all of his different events, uh, uh, that he's been at and the one picture of him. Iwata and Miyamoto was like, ah, oh, it, it hits you right there. But yeah, he, yeah, it he just made much... me miss. It made, made me miss Iwata even more. Yeah, I mean, it's I always caution with the the brands are not your friend, <laughs> and I mean he was an executive, right? But I think he did a really great job of making Nintendo. I mean, I think he did a great job of capturing the fun of video games and. I much prefer somebody like Reggie to somebody like, you know, Bobby Kotick, who's like, screw fun. <laughs> More money, please. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think everyone would like any other CEO other than Bobby Kotick, but uh, I digress, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other interesting news is Xbox Game Pass might be coming to Nintendo Switch. What? Mike, what's, what's your take on this? So Microsoft probably since the beginning of the Xbox One, like once they, they, they did their first failed pitch for the Xbox One has since sort of moved to this idea that Xbox for them is a branded platform that they want on everything. So it's less that the Xbox One or Xbox whatever in the future is the thing and more they want everyone on their service in the same way that that Windows used to be what everybody used for everything. They want to be ubiquitous. So this is an interesting step to that. Like Game Pass was sort of that first step in that you, you they put games on Game Pass and they do well, but it's sort of that weird, almost Netflix feeling where you watch... Uh, or in, in Xbox case, you play games that you probably wouldn't have paid 60 bucks for, but since it's there and you're already paying for Game Pass, why not? So they've had Sea of Thieves, State of Decay, and now Crackdown 3. So I, I think part of their hope is if they move it to Switch, that they can pull some more of those people in and get some more of that subscription service in, because that's what they really want. They want everyone on Xbox. They want everyone on Xbox Game Pass. Yeah, it's kind of a win-win scenario, right? Because Nintendo gets the benefit of all of the stuff that it normally wouldn't be able to have on the Nintendo Switch. And, I mean, and more content is good content, right? And for Microsoft, they get access to the Switch's uh, user base. So there's really no reason for them not to do it, aside from the fact that it kind of dilutes what Microsoft has to offer and makes the Xbox One that much less essential. Yeah. Uh, 
It kind of reminds me of when iTunes first came to Windows PCs back in what, the early 2000s? And Steve Jobs made that comment about it being a glass of ice water in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I mean, especially with Microsoft's recent studio acquisitions, a lot of those are sort of uh, B-level developers or, you know, double A or whatever you want to call it. Developers who have already release games on Switch or are still working on games that are coming to Switch. I believe Pillars of Eternity is supposed to be coming to Switch at some point. Um, so, like, the fact that those games are already coming, uh, Hellblade is also supposed to be coming to Switch. I get the feeling that Microsoft acquired those studios and then those games were coming to Switch and then they were like, eh, why not? Like, like why don't we double down on that? Yeah, it's making progressively more sense as streaming with games becomes more and more feasible. I think there will be still instances in which you just don't want to be streaming certain games, especially multiplayer games. And there will be instances in which the set-top boxes are best suited to play a particularly heavy-duty game. But as for the vast majority of games that come out now can be played on any platform. That's why the Switch is so successful. I mean, you see how many of the best games from last year were indies that could have been played on the Xbox 360, right? Like Celeste and that kind of thing. So in that vein, it makes total sense to put your online subscription program on a a competitor's platform and so you might have a situate an interesting situation in which somebody is subscribing to both Nintendo Switch Online and Xbox Live. It's going to be weird. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's going to be very weird. And I'm less interested in the sort of the streaming games, sort of the the more visually intensive games that you're streaming on the Switch, and more interested in the sort of rumored direct ports, such as Ori and the Blind Forest, or other sort of id at xbox titles that would fit really well on the switch i'm still extremely skeptical of any streaming service because while i think that it could work you're just going to have much less visual fidelity by its very nature i mean maybe you could have 4k streaming i guess you have that with netflix but maybe that's a little more uh intense with kind of the inputs that are involved with a, a video game and not only that but like input delay is a real deal breaker in my mind Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of games that I just wouldn't play on a streaming platform. Certainly no shooters. Yeah, no shooters, probably no fighting games. Definitely not fighting games. Yeah, Uh, I I didn't, I believe that they had, at least in Japan, Assassin's Creed Odyssey uh, via Ubisoft's little uh, cloud streaming thing. And I'd like to try that, but like, I'm still skeptical. I believe Resident Evil 7 was also that way. Yeah, pretty much any game in which input speed is totally at a premium, like reaction times. I mean, there's a reason. When I was researching my TV, I didn't really care about... I was looking for the best balance between visual fidelity and input delay. Like, that was the thing that I was looking for. The two things that I was looking for the absolute most. And so having streaming cut into that, eh, I don't know. But in any case, we're going to know a lot more about the next generation of consoles in, I would say, around E3, actually. It's looking more and more like the Xbox 2 or whatever they end up calling it is going to get revealed at E3 2019. Yep. Uh, At the very least, we're going to see the Xbox plans. The rumor is, of course, a, a big hulking box and a 
smaller, lighter streaming box, which again feeds into that idea of Xbox as sort of a nebulous platform that lives on different spots. I think the PlayStation future thing is going to be a little bit ways off after E3. Maybe if they do a PlayStation experience at the end of this year, but otherwise I I think maybe early next year. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah, if they end up releasing the PS5 in 2020, but that you don't get to see it officially unveiled until like March. And speaking of revealing the Xbox at E3 2019, uh, the other piece of new uh, piece of rumor, I suppose, is that Halo Infinite might be have RPG elements, and I just kind of chuckled. Uh, on Twitter and said, ah, I'm glad that everybody's belatedly realizing that RPGs are the best genre. That's why everybody's lifting those RPG mechanics. Uh, yeah, I mean, because most uh, the the sort of RPG progression allows, especially if these games are starting to become more live services, and I really think that Halo is going to be some sort of live service Halo. Uh, Halo Infinite is going to be some live service Halo. That uh, RPG progression... Uh, allows you to sort of feel invested in your character and give you something more to to push forward. Yeah, the investment is key, I think, and also the kind of depth. But I think it's pretty artificial depth. I don't think uh, the depth that you had in, say, God of War was especially interesting. It wasn't like you were making really exciting decisions about what you ended up unlocking. Usually right. it was just kind of like, uh, sure, that move looks kind of cool, <laughs> right? So yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it gives them a way to sort of make the player feel invested, but a lot of the sort of soft RPG elements coming to many of these games are just like a skill tree, and that's it. And in the case of, say, these live services games, it's loot, which may or may not be balanced, as is the case with the game we're going to be talking about today. So, uh Yeah. yeah. And we might as well get to it. Let's do our Anthem review. Okay, so Mike, in your review, which went up today, you gave it a 2.5 out of 5, which, I mean, obviously, this is a score that BioWare definitely was not wanting when it put out Anthem. Somebody mentioned that Anthem was Project Dylan, as in Bob Dylan, as in it would have that kind of impact, and... Ooh, it definitely hasn't doesn't have that. Uh, the review version on PC for Metacritic is currently a sixty-one. I'm actually I it's a, that's followed seventy-six territory, and a lot of people are comparing it to followed seventy-six as we speak. Mike, you ended up reviewing both. Which one's better? Anthem is the better the game I enjoyed while playing it. They both have different design issues in that that sort of like undermine the idea of the game at various points i think anthem is a more enjoyable game while i was playing it i think bethesda can more likely fix fallout 76 to become what they wanted uh, I don't know if Anthem, like, it can improve and add some quality of life things and new events and whatnot and fix the loot system, but I think there's something about the gameplay of an online uh, shooting RPG thing that Anthem works against in its base structure. 
Yeah. When I, I talked about playing Anthem on this very podcast a few episodes ago, I called it Anthem's Potentially Fatal Flaw. And I posited that the fact that the loot isn't reflected on your character, the loot isn't very exciting to get, uh, was a huge red flag for me. Because if the loot isn't satisfying, then uh, you lose a large point, part of the motivation to keep playing outside of you know the story or that kind of thing. And I was like, well, that puts a lot more onus on the character builds and everything. And the fact that your character felt so interchangeable really also was troubling to me because I feel like you got to have some kind of investment in your character and it just really feels like it's lacking. And reading your review, Mike, I got the sense that you kind of feel the same way, that they just completely failed to give you any sense of investment in your character and they kind of blew it every step along the way, most particularly in the fact that you can't even equip your loot while in progress. Yeah, and I mean, I, I get the idea. Like, usually when I'm playing the games and I think about design issues, I'm like, what were they trying to do? And I, I, I get the idea. I'm guessing that they were trying to make it so that you would always be focused on the game itself instead of uh, what happens in sort of a World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy or, or any of those other games where you get a new item, you drop into your uh, inventory for like, 30 seconds or so, see how it stacks up with what you got, and then decide to equip it or not equip it or anything like that. Which is fine in theory, but the problem is is that you can't adjust to any situations in the game. And so, like, if you, you're using a shotgun and you decide that you need a sniper rifle for the next thing, you can't adjust to that. You just had to know that you needed the sniper rifle before you load it into that mission. It also, as I said in the review, makes loot feel inconsequential because you can't see like loot doesn't roll and resolve into an actual item until you finish a mission. If you go into your inventory and I use that sort of in quotes, you can see the rarity of all of the items that you've cared up that you've picked up, but you can't tell what they are. So it, it, like, there's no impact to it. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I was talking about this uh, on Twitter. I said that one of the reasons Destiny worked was because Bungie recognized that it was an action game developer and kind of leaned into that. And there are some light RPG elements for sure, especially when it comes to getting the guns. But at the end of the day, Destiny is a shooter, and it knows that. And I, I think Anthem is trying to be more like Diablo, and except it's not as deep as Diablo. And that's a problem because Diablo is not that deep at the end of the day, right? And Diablo also has a keen understanding of how you to make you excited about the loot. For one thing, it changes the look of your character when you equip it. You can equip it right away. Uh, it, I mean, it looks interesting, right? And uh, Anthem completely blew it when it came to the way that it handled all the loot. And this yeah. is, I, I said that, this is going to come off as meaner than I really intended it, but I kind of posited that the reason that Bioware is struggling to really implement uh, really deep loot mechanics in a meaningful way is because they haven't done it in a decade. Like Dragon Age Origins was their last really in-depth RPG. Uh, Mass Effect 2, Mass Effect Andromeda, Dragon Age uh, Inquisitor, 
all of these games, to a great extent, kind of glorified action games. <laughs> like, they're just action games. Yeah, and I mean, you can differentiate loot in, in different ways. You can do it through stats. You can do it through sort of a visual progression. Like, Destiny, for example, like I, I called out that uh, Anthem doesn't have a character stats page at all, so all of these sort of different stats and whatnot are feeding into my character, but I don't really, like, know how. Oh, and, that's... You gotta have that kind of feedback. Right, and what they have is sort of the Destiny-style, like, general power, like, like my character right now is, I believe, uh, my my main ranger is 425 in general power. But the problem is, is that over in Destiny, which does the same thing, there's only really three stats. So it's like mobility, resilience, and like damage or something like that. So it, they, like, they rethought how the stats are and they're like, okay, we're very light. We're more action focused. Let's go lighter on the stats, feed into this power level, and then make things more visually interesting. And Anthem sort of doesn't know which one it wants to do. If it's going to be deeply stat driven with all of these different affixes adding like, plus 60% damage or something like that, then you need to actually be able to min-max and see what that is doing to your character. And right now you can't. Yeah, that's kind of the crux of it as well. When you talk about how it needs to know what it wants to be, it wants to be both an action game and kind of a Diablo-style RPG in which you can equip a lot of stuff and min-max your character. And... The problem with that is when you play a game like Diablo, you can min-max the heck out of your character and then just slice through hordes of enemies and it's very satisfying, right? Right. Whereas in Anthem, there is a kind of strong action element to it. And the action element necessarily gets lost when you start min-maxing your character to heck and back because you're just easily carving through enemies without even half a thought. So then the enemies have to be buffed and then they have to be able to shoot you down right away and then you're like well my skill doesn't matter anymore this sucks (laughs) yeah and and i i go into that sort of in the latter part of my review once you basically there are six different difficulties there's easy normal hard and then once you get to the max level cap of 30 then you can pick between grandmaster one grandmaster two and grandmaster three and once you start grandmaster one Each of the three different levels just buffs enemy health and enemy damage. Like, it doesn't add any additional mechanics to the enemies. It doesn't make them uh, more interesting or smarter or anything like that. They're just, they take longer to kill, and they can kill you much quicker than they could before. And this feeds into two different problems. One... Anthem before this is very almost Diablo-like. It's very aggressive. You fly around, you're shooting missiles out, and that feels great, and you're throwing skills and dropping lightning. And then once you get to Grandmaster, you can't do that anymore because, one, there are very few enemy telegraphs, and two, if you're flying and a sniper hits you, then you're automatically dropped down to, like, minimum life. So if a grunt pings you after that, you're dead immediately. And you didn't necessarily know where the the hit that took you almost to zero came from, um, and it, it it it's against what 
the game was doing well in the first place, which is sort of that Iron Man style. Like it really sold the feeling of flying around as a javelin. And then you get to the end game and that's gone. It becomes a cover shooter, but it doesn't have any cover shooter mechanics. Like there's no way to peek from cover other than actually moving your body out. And it, it again, we're, we're going back to that same problem of it, it doesn't know really what it wants to be. Yeah, it doesn't. So I, I think what it comes down to is that Anthem, I, I think that, BioWare, of course, is trying to pull a blizzard in that it wants to be really accessible to newcomers and provide a really accessible and fun experience for people who normally aren't going to maybe play past the end credits, right? Not going to play past uh, the main story or the prologue, as it were. And then, but they also want to satisfy some hardcore people who end up sticking around and end up being the long-term base. And I, I think that... Blizzard makes it look easy, but actually that act is extremely hard, and Bioware is currently finding out. Yeah, and, and it, it, it is hard, and it's weird to me because part of the team working on this is Bioware Austin, who essentially copied Blizzard's World of Warcraft with Star Wars The Old Republic. Uh, that didn't quite work out because, you know, trying to just copy with a, a different sheen doesn't always work. But at least the Old Republic knows what it is in terms of loot and progression. And like it, it knows. So I'm, I'm, it, it just mystifies me that I like, did they not talk to them? Were, were the people who were in Bioware Austin who know sort of how MMO and loot and progression should work? Like, were they overruled? Did they not have any input? I'm, I'm just, I, I just, I felt lost trying to figure out some of the, the design decisions of Anthem. I talked to somebody who knows people who worked on Anthem, and he said that when they were having drinks, they looked like they wanted to cry. So I wonder if it just kind of went off the rails at some point, and they've just been trying to salvage it. But that's, that's pure speculation. I have no idea. What I do know is you wrote an article saying that Anthem really doesn't have any excuse for not kind of learning and implementing the decisions that, I don't know, Destiny and and The Division learned multiple years ago. Uh, and you, you really struck a nerve. Uh, a lot of people were talking about that particular piece. And uh, I I agree. Like, it doesn't really deserve to be cut that much slack because it if it's making the same dang mistakes as before, it's like, was there any progress made? Yeah. And especially I, I put it at the end of the review uh, because it was a quote that resonated with me at the time, Casey Hudson, who left Bioware in the middle of the development and then came back to become the general manager of Bioware again. At the time, the unnamed Anthem was supposed to redefine interactive entertainment. I, I, I don't know how this was supposed to do that because it doesn't, it doesn't even get fundamentals of its specific genre correct. Yeah. It's, it's a, like the feeling that I, I get while playing Anthem isn't like anger. It's just, it's disappointment, which I, I think comes across in the review. I just like, 
Like you had six years, you had all these resources. Like what happened? What, what, what was it rushed to, uh, to launch? Like did EA give them a deadline? I just, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, we can only speculate on what the heck has been going on behind the scenes with this game. And you you did a big comparison with the trailer, and you were pointing out that, interestingly enough, the trailer seemed to have a lot of the things that we wanted in it, like the ability to, say, equip a piece of loot, <laughs> make the loot more meaningful. And you just wonder what the heck happened during the development of this game that things changed and uh, the design of the game took a turn for the worse, right? Yeah, so like in the trailer, there's definitely a series, and I, and I call it flow, uh, that you start in Tarsus and then you go out into the world. And while you're in the world, you can do free play events, but you can also pick up on quests that you had received in Fort Tarsus. And that's sort of the way most of these online games and MMOs work. Because you want everyone in the world so you can have world events, so they can jump to missions. You want to keep that flow. You want to be able to grab like six or seven quests and then go out to an area and finish all of those quests. Because while players are doing that, they feel like they're progressing. They're they're caught in the game's loops. And if they meet any other players at random, maybe they, they join together, maybe they make a connection and and that is good for the health of the game. But the way Anthem works is you get a mission, and then before you head out in the world, you select what type of content you want to do, uh, like mission, stronghold, or free play. Once you finish a mission or stronghold, you're automatically, like, it, it ports you back out to a mission complete screen, and then you're dropped into either the Forge or Fort Tarsus again. There's no way to, while in free play, say, fix, like, do a mission and then jump back and continue free playing and doing world events or to do a bunch of missions. So, like, Anthem is very much back and forth. It's pushing you back and forth over and over again. And the missions are only like 10, 15 minutes long. Strongholds are like 30 minutes tops. So you're getting these very, uh, aborted play sessions instead of just one singular play session that you just keep playing because you're not even like, I, I played the division two's uh, technical beta and I dropped in like probably a good hour and a half to two hours without realizing it. Like, I, I don't necessarily think the division two is amazing, but it's got the loop down. Like I just, I went out to do a mission and then while I was doing that mission, I ran into a world event. And then in that world event, I started playing with another player. And then we did another mission. And then it, it just keeps building on itself. And Anthem never gets a chance to do that. Whereas the trailer that they showed sort of outlined a game that would allow that. Yeah, Ubisoft doesn't make very good games, but they know how to make addictive loops. <laughs> yes, yes. No, they, they very much do. Like... uh uh, Far Cry isn't like an amazing game, but it it very much like yeah, just jump in, go ahead, have fun, and we'll 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 give you that. Well, we've talked about all the ways that Anthem kind of fails, but we haven't talked very much about the ways in it succeeds. And I, I guess the reason I want to ask about this is because 
I figure that the successful elements are what will serve as a foundation for any kind of revival going forward. So, Mike, where where does Anthem succeed? Uh, first, flight feels amazing. Like just the 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 animation, the sound design, like moving around in your javelin feels strong and powerful and so well done. Like you jump up into the air and you hit that first button to access your jets and there's that big boom of the jets starting and then the camera sort of pans in just a little bit and then pulls back out sort of give you that feeling of speed and flight feels great. And also the javelins, there are four different types of javelins. There's the Ranger, which is the Jack of All Trades, the Colossus, which is the Heavy, the Interceptor, which is the game's Rogue, and then Storm, which is the sort of wizard-like character, uh, Glass Cannon. And they all feel very distinct and unique, and their mechanics uh, work really well like when you're playing on the way up through the campaign. Uh, and I also really enjoy the co- the combo system where, where, say, you can have a storm that freezes an entire group of players, and then a ranger uh, shoots a, a heat-seeking missile and hits all of them. And when you combo like that, they're called primers and detonators, it does additional damage. And there's also this, like, really wonderful sound, this, like, ting when you pull off a combo that feels really good. So like I like from sort of a visual and and sound perspective, Anthem is a really good game. The world is beautiful. It's just yeah, it's a gorgeous game. They're like, oh people are all over us about Mass Effect and Dramano. We better get this game like amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you can definitely tell that they wanted to make sure that visually uh, like if you're watching it on a stream or showing gifs or anything like that, like it looks really good. And also I enjoy, uh, their javelin customization system, which allows you to paint different parts of the javelin in different paint types and different materials. So like metal or nylon or something like that. And all the colors are unlocked and all the, most of the materials are unlocked. Like there's some on the vanity store, but for the most part, you have a lot of leeway in terms of customizing your javelin visually. It's very nice, and I'm glad that that wasn't like something that had to be unlocked. Like you have to unlock black or something like that. The flip side of that is right now there's only the vanity store for other types of armor. So uh, a lot of players currently look like the same javelins in different colors as opposed to different looking javelins. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference with destiny is that you start equipping loot, you start looking different, you start feeling pretty cool. And you're like, Oh, my character looks amazing. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. And then you go from there. Whereas they made the cosmetics, all cosmetics because they wanted microtransactions and uh, 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 you can't do that. Screw yeah. Up. Microtransactions ruin everything. But so, okay. We've talked about the bad. We've talked about the good. So I, I'm kind of curious, like a lot of people are pretty nervous about what this means for Bioware going forward. And I'm kind of curious, like, do you have any uh, kind of observations on that? Like, I think they can uh, fix a lot of smaller annoyances and add more quality of life things. Like they've already announced 
I believe they're called Elysium Stronghold Caches. Uh, so like right now, your loot that drops across all of the content in the game is all the same. Grandmaster levels just change the chance of getting better items in sort of the roles. The stronghold caches are supposed to offer stronghold-specific sort of vanity items and stuff for play. And, and like, that's one of those things that they can add and they can fix. I don't think they can fix the in-game loop problem because it's it's a fundamental thing to the way their mission structure is currently designed. So uh, that's th- not true. I mean, Diablo 3 came out and completely revamped the game in, like, less than a year. Like, they just took all of the feedback that everybody was giving them. Remember that when Diablo 3 came out, its endgame was 100% different. The way that its loot worked was 100% different. Basically, they discarded all of the ideas that they had at the launch of Diablo 3 and said, okay, screw it, we got loot 2.0, we're putting out the expansion, we've got adventure mode, uh, we're changing the way that uh, the difficulties are happening, like we're introducing all of these different things. They did a pretty wholesale re- revamp of Diablo 3 in a shockingly short amount of time. Now, granted, Diablo 3, not nearly as complicated from a visual standpoint as Anthem, like especially when it comes to making assets and that kind of thing. But I think there is precedent for a complete reimagining on the fly of a game. I I, I think they're... Like I said, I think the loot stuff, like they can fix, but like that, the mission structure problem that I was talking about, where like you can't go from like, hey, I'm doing a mission, let's do three or four missions back to back, or hey, I'm in free play, let's jump from free play to a mission to a stronghold to free play without breaking the sort of play session into different, like they can't, I don't think they can fix that without significantly changing what Anthem is currently. I think that's an Anthem 2 thing as opposed to a thing that, like they can fix in Anthem as it stands. Well, they're not going to get an Anthem 2 unless they actually <laughs> fix Anthem, you know? I mean, they're going to need a Taking King level effort to get this thing back on track. Yeah, and I and I think they'll they'll do that through more interesting loot redoing the loot system, more interesting weapons. And sort of adding mechanics to strongholds and stuff that are repeatable, that are actually interesting and not just, hey, this boss is, has more health or more damage. Uh, well, I think that's stuff they can fix. Well, they've already gotten ahead of this. Like, I think they were looking at Fallout 76 and were like, okay, more communication is good. <laughs> we really need to get ahead of all of the media going, what the heck is going on? Yeah, yeah. And I and I, I will also point out as, as a good thing, yes, Bioware, uh, like when I was watching that first live stream, they're very open and honest about what they're doing and what's coming down the pipeline and how they're trying to fix it. And that's very good. So I, I have to applaud them for that. I take no pleasure whatsoever in seeing Anthem struggle out of the gate. I mean, it's good for everybody when a game is really good. Uh, It's good for the players, it's good for the journalists, it's good for the studio, and it really stinks to see Anthem uh, stumble this badly 
at launch. And I really hope that BioWare manages to turn it all around because I do worry about BioWare's future going forward. I This is, would be the second game in a row that potentially does not meet expectations, Mass Effect Andromeda being the last one. You know how EA is when it comes to uh, a lot of uh, companies tend to be on a short leash. And there have been a lot of rumors about this being kind of Bioware's meal ticket going forward. Uh, man, I, I, I'm nervous. I, I really hope that they get a chance to turn this around in a meaningful way because it could be that Bioware existence is on the line. I, I think uh, someone pointed out that Bioware Edmonton, which is the main Bioware studio, just moved into a new office uh, so they just got a new lease on, on, and I think that doesn't mean anything though. I mean, EA will shut you down. They'll they'll shut you down, but I they they would need something else to put there, uh, given the lease term. So I I, I think well, EA Canada right yeah, expand the FIFA offices out of Vancouver. Yeah, that is true. My yeah. my 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 worry is less that Bioware will go away. And more what Bioware is going to be doing. Like, uh, I can see more that the failure of Anthem means, say, that Dragon Age 4 or whatever, the next Dragon Age gets pushed off even further as they work on Anthem. Or maybe Bioware ends up working on, like, I don't know, like a battlefield or something like that. Like, like like I'm worried about what Bioware becomes. They become Criterion. Where they're right. just out making vehicle mechanics or whatever. They don't make games anymore. Right. Like, I'm less worried that Bioware will go away completely because of Anthem's stumbles and more that Bioware will become something else. Well, frankly, it already has. Bioware is dead. The Bioware <laughs> that we know is long gone. The Bioware, I mean, we did the Baldur's Gate 2 uh, entry in the top 25 RPGs countdown a while ago. And it's just shocking to see the difference between the Bioware of that time and the Bioware that it is now. It's com- it's a completely unrecognizable studio from the studio that made Knights of the Old Republic. And when its founders left, I mean, the people who were there were good-spirited, and I have no doubt that they love RPGs, but the slip began. The, they started to lose their identity. And you saw it more and more from Mass Effect 2 into... Dragon Age 2 into Dragon Age Inquisition into Mass Effect Andromeda the and at a certain point they became a straight on AAA action developer and then EA said make us a service game and Bioware was like okay I guess sure why not and now we got Anthem and it's like guys where, where how how did we get so far away from your glory days how how did everything go wrong and and there's a lot of games in 2018 some of the biggest games show that there's definitely a space and hunger for what i call like prestige games the god of war the red dead redemption assassin's creed odyssey you can back those games up with some live service elements like assassin's creed odyssey continues to add new missions and new armor sets and stuff to the game uh and the season pass and all that stuff the core of the game is still that strong single-player experience. Bioware was known for that. Yeah, EA blew it twice over. I mean, last week we were talking about Ultima 7, 
and how Ultima should be The Witcher today, how it was such an amazing pioneer for so much of what we know of as the open-world RPG today. And EA just went, just threw it all away. They threw away this amazing IP with a massive fan base, and they're doing it again with BioWare because they just don't understand the value of what these companies bring. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the like the problem that EA has uh, is probably I'm going to say Ultimate Team. Like Ultimate Team is is I, I believe good for for FIFA and stuff. Like it's, it's a not. fun. It's killed sports games as we yeah, know. Yeah, it, it just, it it's makes so, sports games. It makes so much money that EA wants that for everything. And that you can't get that from well, everything. Well, their executive used to head up EA Sports, Andrew Wilson, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Like he's like, well, I mean, this butters our bread. Our investors want more of that. We need to find a way to make our other games do this because, I mean, the amount of money that FIFA pulls in, <laughs> I mean, when you're justifying to investors, it's like, well, we're putting X amount of millions of dollars into this, and this is what the profit margin is going to be like. And the investors are like, more profits. Well, facts, folks, this is why capitalism is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Down yeah. with capitalism, we can get more video games. Yeah, you you have to you have to be able to jump between Sony, probably Ubi, Ubisoft is another good example, in that you have to do the prestige game. And maybe you do some extra like monetization stuff in the background of the prestige game, but you do the prestige game and then you do the service game and you can jump back and forth between those because what the prestige game does is it builds trust and confidence if it's good. And yes, you can do that with the service game. Uh, Ubisoft did with say Rainbow Six Siege. Like now they have a reputation for committing and building on a game. So like what I'm hearing now is with Anthem and The Division 2, like, Anthem is more interesting aesthetically, but a lot of people sort of in that same looter-shooter genre look at Division 2 and are like, well, but we know Ubisoft will commit and improve and make that better. Whereas people look at Anthem and they're like, you walked away from Mass Effect Andromeda. They washed their hands of it. And so they look at Anthem and they're like, so what are you going to do here? And that's the trust. That's the trust part that's gone. Whereas if you put money into Andromeda, if you kept putting money, yes, fiscally into shareholders, that looks bad, but it builds trust in the community, which you can then use for future games. Yeah, I just, I, I, I've been given to healthy EA rants of late, and a lot of it's because I play a lot of their games, and I feel like I should like their games, and yet I don't. And I look at EA, I look at the people who work at EA, and so many of them mean well, and they really want to do right by their audiences and their communities, and they really want to make good games. But there's something about that culture at that company that is just poisoned. It's this corporate culture, this very sterile corporate culture. We had this interview with Amy Hennig go up on the site this week. And she was another case where she was doing her best. Her team was doing their best. They were working on the Frostbite engine, trying to make various improvements to it. And she talked about how at Naughty Dog, you were trusted and given the support you needed to make these games like Uncharted, right? Whereas in EA, it was just like, we're going through the metrics. Uh, you need to have your deliverables on time. There's a very regimented uh, corporate structure that's telling you how to deliver your games. 
It reminds me of Peter Gibbons in Office Space, which celebrates his uh, 20th anniversary this year, actually saying, I have five different bosses, Bob. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's EA in a nutshell. They're, they're got to get their t- Amy Hedig. These, these really smart people have to get their friggin' TPS reports in. Yeah, and, and, and people are like, they, they point to the frostbite thing. And they're like, well, I mean, this is why Anthem is. But as part of that, you kind of wonder, like, at this point, yes, maybe frostbite is bad and you always have to build new tools to do new stuff. But where where is the ragtag and the Andromeda and the Inquisition stuff? Like, I'm not seeing the learnings from that. Yeah, I, I think the turnover is too high. Yeah. So the institutional knowledge is maybe getting lost to some extent. You, you see people at the top who are still sticking around, but I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And plus, I mean, you're making a live service game. Yeah. And yeah. and the last live service game they made was Star Wars The Old Republic. That sure didn't go well. So. Yeah, it didn't go well, although uh, for Old Republic fans, uh, Casey Hudson, when he came back, Tobiaware said he was surprised to find out how many people were still playing the Old Republic. Shock. Like how much money like it was. MMOs. <laughs> so 2019 is supposed to be a, a big, uh, in addition to Anthem's live service, a big sort of extra resources given to Bioware Austin to do another Old Republic Bioware expansion. Bioware Austin is just doing support for Anthem, though. Yeah. I mean, but- it's a skeleton crew down there. I don't know. Okay, so go check out Mike's review of Anthem. Go check out all of our coverage from this week. We've written a lot about everything that's been going on Anthem, so you can get all your fill of that. I, It really stinks. I, I desperately want Anthem to be good. I desperately want EA to be good. But I'm just not seeing any road out of this. I think they've just... <laughs> they've ground so many great studios down into a nub, and Bioware is their latest victim. Okay, as usual, we do the mailbag, and in the last episode, we talked about Final Fantasy VIII's 20th anniversary, and we also talked about Ultima Seven. And this is what you guys had to say. Rom Hex says, I haven't played Final Fantasy VIII since I was a kid, never got far into it, but the world, and especially music, made a strong impression on my younger self. Something about that starting area felt really magical. I got stuck at the robot spider battle and could never figure out what I was supposed to do, Eventually, I used a cheat disc to get past it and was rewarded with the game crashing. I think that was the last time I played it. Maybe I'll go back to it one day. Mike, did you ever play Final Fantasy VIII? I did. I, I played Final Fantasy VIII, and I didn't hate it. I think my issue was uh, the story was a bit nonsensical once you sort of got about Time halfway compression. through. Yeah. And uh, and I also got sort of into the weeds. Uh, I, I guess this was sort of... a a telegraph of my future, like open world completist thing, in that I would draw magic from a thing, and then I would just sit there and draw until I had maximum of whatever the magic was. Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah, yeah. So like, like I was you can't like, do oh, that, Mike, you don't, that that's not what you want to do. You can't draw <laughs> 100 of everything. Yeah, no, that's that's how I played. I'd be like, oh, down hey. that road goes madness. This character has Cura. I'm going to just sit here and draw against this enemy 
until I can't anymore. And that's, yeah, that's how I played. I think I mentioned in a previous episode that uh, in an era before smartphones, when I was drawing from enemies, I would literally switch over to a different channel and watch TV while pressing X a whole bunch of times. And then I would just be like, uh, nope, not full yet. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely one of those. Like, I'm, I'm sort of that weird, uh, completist sort of mentality. I like gardening too. So I would that. That's how I played. Oh, that's wonderful. I do. I do. I like. I like doing yard work. Um, Smooth gardening with Mike Williams. (laughs) So uh, the flip side of that is whenever I would end up in an encounter, I'd always be far ahead so i was just like stomping encounters because my characters uh i had like fully junctioned magic on all of them of course you did uh satellite of love says most readers polls rarely touch pre-final fantasy 7 games outside of the high profile square sfc output like this true okay gamer law says cat's point that final fantasy games have become unrecognizable in the post 789 era is well taken i could not agree more i tell people all the time that square still makes excellent final fantasy games they simply call them bravely now mike hates final fantasy 15 i do i do i hate final fantasy 15 and uh octopath traveler i haven't had a chance to get farther into but uh from it's what i have it's seen pretty mundane uh, yeah, I, 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 my issue with Octopath is more the story. I really like the combat system, though. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I thought it was a, a fantastic combat system with the sort of the breaking uh, and the sort of armor. Like, I think that's, yeah, this is a good start. I just wish the story, uh, from what I've seen, was delivered in a little bit better manner and sort of a Final Fantasy-esque or if they were doing the saga thing, if they got a little bit weirder, because saga is a very, it, it's a Octopath is very saga esque, but saga is much weirder <laughs> in in its stories and characters and whatnot. I I like the Bravely games. I like Octopath. I didn't like Fifteen, but I I think a lot of that is down to the combat system, and it's the same reason I didn't necessarily like what I played of Kingdom Hearts 3. Like, I don't like that weird, muddy, action RPG thing. Like, either make an action game or make a an RPG. So, uh, I, I I don't, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird space for me. Cochambra says, kudos for choosing Ultima 7. Whenever I look back at the most memorable gaming experiences of my life, this gem always comes to mind. I had already enjoyed Ultima 6 and the two world of Ultima games, but Ultima 7 was something else. Just the scale and sheer ambition of it were amazing. I remember having to tinker with my operating system configuration files just to get the game run, but it was totally worth it. You really felt you were being dropped into this beautiful, living, breathing world where you could follow the path of virtue and fulfill your destiny as the avatar or just mess around and have fun. I've been looking for a similar experience ever since. Some games have managed to give me echoes of Ultima 7's attention to detail and its ambitious world building, but none of them have matched its impact on me. It really is one of the best RPGs ever made. Also, is there really any period in recorded human history where EA wasn't chasing the money? Mike, I assume that you never got a chance to play Ultima 7. I did not. The Ultima... Every, everybody has a, a an old game hole. Ultima is my old game hole. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think it is for a lot of people. Um, one of the things we talked about 
during that segment was about how Ultima 7 has been tragically kind of lost to time in history. Yeah, no, and and I hope that maybe uh, with this sort of zeitgeist of bringing back older style RPGs or older style genres, that maybe someone out there, hey, Obsidian, does an Ultima-style game again. Well, I'll take The Outer Worlds to start. Yeah, Act- no, The Outer Worlds is a great start. Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Spotify, yeah. You can please leave us a review if you're enjoying the show. Follow us on all the social medias. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, in which we, uh, Nadia and I, swap back and forth, putting out, you know, we have a good time. Uh, and plus, it'll keep you up on all of the happenings in the world of RPGs. The blood, the newsletter of the Blood God is what we're calling it. Thanks to Mike for coming on the show to talk about Anthem. Make sure to go check out all of his coverage. We'll be back next week as usual to talk more. We got a special interview happening next week, which is really exciting. So uh, look forward to that. Around an RPG that I am extremely excited about. But we did get a chance to talk about its announcement on this episode, but uh, I'll kind of rectify that next week. So don't you worry about that. Okay, until then, for Mike myself, thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. And until then, happy adventuring. <laughs>